Welcome to Working for Women, the independent women's forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. All right, welcome to our listeners. We're over a month into the fall semester now. Uh, it's, it's October, <laughs> and you know a lot of young people, young women, have settled into their dorms, and uh, newcomers to campus are kind of working on their freshman 15, if you guys remember what that was like. But on a serious note, young women and young men um, have probably been inundated over the past month, month and a half with stories and statistics about rampant sexual assault on campus. Um, the question is, if it's this bad, do we need to lock our daughters away and keep them away from college? You know, or is there more to this story? Uh, so today we're excited to have Jennifer Braceras. She's an independent columnist, and she, has, she penned a terrific essay entitled, Straight Talk for Women, and this is in the Wall Street Journal, um, where she's offering some advice to young women on how to avoid sexual assault on campus. So we're happy. Jennifer, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Uh, Before we jump into this, uh, to your common sense advice and, and kind of dig a little bit deeper into the topic of sexual assault on campus, what motivated you to write this piece? Honestly, I was motivated to write it because of my own daughters. I have three daughters, one of whom is in college, um, and I also have a son, but he's younger. Um, And I felt that a lot of what they're hearing um, is just misinformation and not designed actually to protect them or keep them safe. And I felt that in in the media, there are lots and lots of articles about the law as it pertains to sexual assault and the regulations about sexual assault on campus. But there really wasn't any type of practical advice being offered to students as to how to comport themselves on campus and how to keep themselves safe. That's interesting. I mean, um, we'll we'll jump down to it in a little bit, but, you know, talk about the situation on campus. Um, We've seen some of the statistics and you've mentioned the misinformation. Is it really right. true that one out of five young women is sexually assaulted at college? And, I mean, if, if it's that staggering, why isn't this a national emergency? Exactly. Well, the statistics are grossly misleading. Um, as with any survey, you always have to look at the response rate and you have to look at the definitions that are provided. So a number of the surveys that have been handed out on college campuses about sexual assault have very low response rates, which means that they they tend to over-represent people who who actually have been sexually assaulted and those who haven't been tend not to fill out the survey. So that's one problem with them that makes them difficult to, you know, extrapolate from. But the other issue is a definitional issue because most of these surveys do not ask students whether they've been raped or sexually assaulted. They ask them about specific behaviors and then the authors of the surveys themselves decide whether or not those behaviors fall into, um, meet their definition of sexual assault. So they ask questions like, have you ever, been kissed by somebody while you were drinking without that person asking permission? Or have you ever been rubbed up against inappropriately? Or have you ever, I mean, they ask a whole range of behaviors from, you know, forcible penetration to 
you know, somebody bumping into you on the dance floor. And then they define those, all of those behaviors as sexual assault, which most people, when they hear the term sexual assault, they think rape. Um, but it's but it's not always rape. And, and so it includes a whole host of behaviors, most of which we can all agree are, are inappropriate. Um, but it's a far cry from, you know, bumping up against someone on the dance floor to actually criminally raping them. So, so they're very misleading. Sometimes they use an even broader term called sexual misconduct, which is even broader than sexual assault. But again, it leads people to believe um, that college campuses are virtual crime scenes. You know, and I'm glad you gave those examples because I was watching a reality television show recently where the mother was so scared for her daughter to go to campus that I'm thinking um, probably her campus is relatively safe. And, you know, that, that wayward kiss when a, when a, a sports team, you know, makes a, a catches like the last catch or, or, you know, does a home run, you know, by a couple of some drunk kids, you know, in the bar, you know, things like that could happen. But it, unfortunately, it could also be considered um, an assault, which could lead someone down a pretty pretty rough path so you know, I could right. definitely see some and, of those examples right and I, what I think it's important for people to realize is all young women between the ages of 18 and I think 24 or 25 are more vulnerable to sexual assault than, than the rest of the population generally right but it turns out that within that age group women who are not in college are sexually assaulted much more frequently than women who are in college. So college campuses are actually safer places for women of that age group than the, you know, the rest of the world. Well, and, and I'm guessing that, you know, these are going to be women who are, those who are not, not college educated are going to be probably ones who go to the authorities. Um, to to have their cases actually um, investigated rather than just kind of the school's uh, definition of what assault looks like and, and their investigations. You know, I haven't seen statistics on that, and I don't know, but I mm-hmm. think typically women who are, who are in college are more educated about these mm-hmm. issues and I think are more possibly more aware of protecting themselves, um, okay. and, and campuses are set up. You know, you go on any college campus today, and there are those emergency call boxes all over mm-hmm. the place, and, and there's all sorts of literature about what to do if you're assaulted. And, you know, so people on college campuses, um, they have more resources. So, you, you know, I think they're more protected. Well, let's let's talk about kind of the investigations. So if someone, you know, we, we recently heard about the Department of Education that Secretary Betsy DeVos has, you know, reversed some guidelines that were issued to, to colleges and universities, um, reverse guidelines issued by the Obama administration. Uh, you know, what can you explain, you know, what, what this means for the college? What are the implications, what this means, and, 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 um, and will anything actually change? So that's, that's a lot to unpack, uh, unpack there. But the Obama guidelines basically required um, schools, any school that receives federal funding from the government, to handle claims of sexual assault in ways that many people felt stacked the deck against the accused. Um, so, for example, 
they required that the burden of proof be lowered um, to a preponderance of the evidence. They um, really limited the rights of people accused of sexual assault to to try to prove their innocence. Um, it limited what they could do in these hearings in terms of their ability to present evidence in their defense. Um, but the other thing that the that the Obama era guidance did was it expanded the scope of how colleges should define assault, just as we were talking about a moment ago. Um, and it gave them the freedom to, to define assault in ways that are much broader than the criminal law. Um, so, for example, at some schools, um, they define sexual assault as any, um, I'm trying to think of the formulation that was used. There's one school that defines it, defines sexual assault as uh, sex obtained by, by misleading somebody. So misleading somebody and telling them, for example, that you love them and want to be their partner for life and then either changing your mind the next day or, you know, intentionally basically tricking somebody into sleeping with you on the false pretenses of relationship could be defined as rape at this particular Ivy League school. So those types of definitional problems were actually encouraged by the Obama-era guidance. Um, so what Secretary DeVos did was she she repealed the guidance, and she's she's essentially reviewing the regulations in an attempt to make the process of investigating these claims fair to, to both sides. And, and her, her goal is to make it that just because somebody says they've been assaulted doesn't mean that they have been assaulted, that there has to be a presumption of innocence until a determination has been made as to what happened. So in essence, it's um, kind of returning to that, that idea that, you know, you are innocent until proven guilty, or at least that, you know, uh, people who've been, um, who have charges alleged against them, you know, have a chance to clear their name. Uh, I, I thought it was interesting just to read some of the stories of, of students, both male and female, um, who have been caught up in the in the system um, as a result of you know either fraudulent charges um, of sexual assault, you know, or young girls who you know were forced because of these broad definitions to um, to you know to have you know someone who they were in a relationship with investigated even if they didn't want to. So uh, I think that's really interesting. Um, do you think these changes will lead to less safer campuses as we're hearing in the media? Um, no, definitely not. And but but I don't think they're going to lead to much of anything because you've already seen um, both schools and state politicians come out and say we don't care that the Department of Education has revoked this guidance. We're going to go ahead and apply the guidance anyway, right? Which is that is their right under you know a federal system. A state a state can pass a law. Um, that's more strict than the requirements of federal law. So they're within their right to do that, and, and private colleges are within their rights to have whatever disciplinary codes they see fit. Um, so I don't think their policies, unfortunately, are going to change much, at least, you know, in the, in the first instance. Um, 
But even if they did, no, it wouldn't make campuses less safe because the things that make campuses less safe weren't being addressed by this policy anyway. I mean, all the Obama guidance did was was mandate how claims should be adjudicated after the fact. It didn't do anything preventative at the front end. I think, and I think that's a good segue into talking about what young women can do, um, you know, to 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 take prevent preventative uh, uh, measures to ensure that they don't find themselves in, in sticky situations. Um, so I would love for you just to walk through your tips, um, the five tips that you listed out. Well, it's really common sense, and it almost sounds silly that we have to say these things in this day and age, but a lot of the problem uh, on college campuses stems, I believe, from from two unfortunate forces, and one is binge drinking, and the other is the hookup culture generally both of which are problems and, and, you know, cause safety issues on campus, um, a variety of safety issues. So my first tip that I wrote about in, in the piece was basically, you know, don't get drunk and go home with someone you don't know. Sounds like common sense, right? Um, you know, people should... They shouldn't drink to excess. It's really, it's, it's that simple um, because when you do drink to excess, you make bad decisions and you could end up in unsafe places and, you know, nobody wants that to happen. Um, but sort of a corollary of that is that there's safety in numbers. And so when you do go out on campus, you should go with a group and you should stay with the group. You shouldn't let your friends peel off. You should make sure you stay together, that you leave together that you know that everybody's accounted for at the end of the night and back in their rooms or, or wherever they want to be. And that's really the safest approach. When people get separated, you know, is when problems start, especially when there's drinking involved. Um, and, you know, so when you are dr- out drinking, it's best to be with friends who can sort of act as a check on, you know, decision-making. So those are the, those are sort of the first two points. The third point that I talk about is just rejecting the hookup culture generally, um, you know, regardless of alcohol, because that's really you know, students are told when they get to campus that they're adults and that they have you know license to go and and have whatever relationships they want with whomever they want and and they do i mean they have that right but that doesn't necessarily make it a good idea and you know i think if you don't know somebody well enough to know whether you can trust them it's probably not a good idea to be naked with them right i mean it's just it's common sense and i tell this to my daughter but it seems like there are no other adults sort of conveying this common sense message. Um, and along the same lines, I think, you know, young people have to be self-confident. It's it's okay to meet somebody at a keg party. Um, it's okay to, you know, be interested in somebody that you've just met. But if, if they're really interested in you and you're really interested in them, they'll be equally interested the next day, right, when it's not in the middle of a party and alcohol flowing and you know, you meet someone you like, great, exchange phone numbers, text them the next day, and get together for lunch or meet at the library or, 
you know, hold out for a real date. Don't just go off with somebody the first time you meet them. Um, so that's, yeah, that's, I mean, it's, again, common sense. Um, another tip I have is it's basically buyer beware. I mean, if you if you decide to participate in the hookup culture, you have to go in with your eyes open and realize that, you know, promises made in the heat of passion are meaningless. This goes back to what we were talking about before with the Ivy League school that has defined assault as, as manipulation, right? People, people will do what it takes to get someone into bed with them. That's human nature. It might not be right. It might not be, we might not like it, but that's reality. And people will tell you what they think you want to hear in order to get your clothes off. That's, you know, that's the way of the world. So if you're going to participate in the hookup culture, know what it is, that it's, you know, it's a transactional situation and don't expect anything afterwards. Um, Another point I have is really that that to be clear about your wishes, right? I mean, no means no. We've been told this from the time that we were very young, but nobody knows um, nobody knows your wishes if you don't articulate them. So you can't expect your partner to know that you want to stop if you haven't articulated that. And that, that's actually a somewhat controversial viewpoint um, because the feminists nowadays are pushing for affirmative consent rules and affirmative consent laws across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, which basically put the onus on on the other person. So at some colleges and universities, um, they define consent as as you have to get affirmative consent at every step of the way, and you cannot infer consent from the behavior of another person. So even if the person seems wildly enthusiastic about what's happening, and they're laughing and smiling and taking their own clothes off and proceeding to the next level, that's not defined as consent by some colleges and universities, which is silly to me, because in every other aspect of life, we can make inferences based on people's behavior. Um, but for some reason, we're not supposed to when it comes to sex. So I, you know, I would say, regardless of what people are saying about affirmative consent, Really, if you want to keep yourself safe, you have to be willing to articulate what you want, what you don't want, and if something's making you uncomfortable, you need to say so. That's the best way to protect yourself. Um, and and finally, I mean, if, if you are assaulted or anything bad should happen, I, the number one thing is call your parents or a trusted adult and Take action immediately. Go to the police, go to the hospital, call a rape crisis line. Um, but whatever you do, don't go running to a university bureaucrat who doesn't have your interests in mind. I mean, I think that is a, a, a good way to kind of wrap up our conversation. And, and I thank you for being very candid with your advice because, unfortunately, uh, when I did some research on some of the, the websites that a lot of young women read today, uh, th- this is not listed here. 
um, and, and they're not told some of the ways that they can kind of protect themselves, but also what to expect if an, if the unfortunate um, situation ever arises. So, you know, this is an important issue at the Independent Women's Forum. We definitely are tracking it and following, following you know, what's going to happen at the federal level, but also at the local level, um, on the campus level. And, you know, we really reiterate that rape and sexual assault, even sexual harassment, you know, should not be treated lightly, but we want to empower um, women Yep, to, and men to be able to feel like they, uh, they're not just victims, that they do have some control in this process. So, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us today and, and sharing your piece with us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. To our listeners, we hope you'll join us again for our next podcast, and thank you, thank you everybody, for listening in. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by iwf.org for similar content.